Hello and welcome. Um, we're here today with author Nia Forrester and then my panelists, uh, Martha and Tara are gonna help me uh, and all of us discuss the book. Uh, I hope you can see this. This is the Thank book you. we're discussing today, Jane Doe, Jane Doe Black by Nia Forrester. And I really enjoyed it too, Nia. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, if you could, for people who don't really know you, could you uh, introduce yourself and get your background a little bit? Oh, I hate this part. <laughs> <laughs> introduce yourself. Uh, Nia Forrester, um, I think, uh, if folks know me at all, it's probably from uh, my women's fiction and romance novels, my background. What does that mean? You know, I live in Philadelphia, PA. Um, immediately before that, I lived in Washington, D.C., where I was a lawyer and lobbyist um, for a really long time. Um, before that, I was in New York City, um, where I had my own brush with working in the legal system. And before that, I was, um, I grew up in Jamaica and I was born in Canada. And I've been writing oh, that whole time. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you were born in Canada. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the comments right quick. Okay, and uh, Martha, Tara, do you want to say a little about yourself? And please <laughs> do, because I know some people, know, some people, know, some people know who you are as well. Martha, are you going to go first? <laughs> okay, I am Martha Fontaine, and I'm just uh, first. I'm a big, big fan of Nia Forrester. Fell in love with her work in 2019. Snowflake was the first book. I read um, and been with Nia ever since and Bugger and everything because I mm -hmm. just love everything that she does. Um, school teacher by day, but reader every chance I get. So I'm just like, really excited to be a part of this discussion. Thank I'm you. I'm so Tara. glad to meet you in person. <laughs> I feel like I could have told you all of that stuff that you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> And I'm Tara. I um, am actually a part of Bourbon Street Bookers. It's a book club that I joined maybe a year and a half ago, but I've been reading avidly before that. Um, Nia, the first book I read by you was The Makeover, and I know you have oh, like wow. a love-hate-hate relationship. With no, that just word. a hate-hate. <laughs> but <laughs> I read your whole catalog. You're like one of my top authors that I read. And thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. And I think I you guys. Uh, and Cheryl, <laughs> I know you from way back. Yeah, you know, I and it you know like one way of back. my <laughs> like one of my post -COVID. favorites is the commitment afterwards series. Oh my goodness. Um, I think I was one of the ones that was always telling you, okay, can you stay with these characters forever and um keep giving us more and more and more? Uh because I know at first you was like, I think I'm done with this, uh with this. So I'm glad that we got some more of those characters. 
But um, I, I'm actually excited about the new characters and the, um, the new genre because uh, I love a good mystery and suspense. Um, is that how you would characterize it as mystery suspense, this new book? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I try not to. Yeah. <laughs> I just write what I write and then you know, figure out later what, what to call it. But yeah, I would think so. So how was the uh, process of writing um, in this different genre than what you normally write in? It was liberating. It, I wrote it maybe, I want to say three years ago. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and it had been sitting around for a while, but I think um, having not really written that genre before, I wasn't sure it was any good. And then um, I had another kind of... Uh, attempt at sort of a mystery novel when I did in black and white that one didn't land like I wanted it to or it didn't like shape up the way that I wanted it to and then I realized I needed to read more of the genre to write it mm -hmm. well so I've been doing that for a while and um, as I read more I just sort of fine-tuned this story until I was happy with it and um, I think at this point I can say that it's one of very few books that I've written where I'm like yeah, this turned out the way I wanted it to turn out. But, but yeah. um, black and white was excellent, though. It was really, I, I really Thank you. It. Yeah, I, I didn't it. dislike that book. And some of them I really dislike, but the, I didn't dislike that book. But it definitely didn't do quite what I wanted it to do. Um, it felt incomplete to me. But, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think um, one of the good things about being independent is like, you know, you can bring, like the world is your like beta reader pool, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you get surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, but you get a lot of um, good feedback from reviews. And I got some good feedback on in black and white that I think helped me with this one. Oh, good, okay. Yeah. And uh, what type of research, if any, did you do to prepare for the write for writing in this genre? Because I would think you um, have to do besides the reviews, what else? Uh, right. Yeah. Well, just a lot of reading, right? I mean, like with I think every genre has kind of a, um, a formula to it. Whether or not the writer wants to admit there's a formula, there's a formula, and and the trick is to make it. Um, seem like you're doing something that's never been done before that yeah. is different from what everybody else is doing but the more you read in the genre you want to write i think you get you know you pick stuff up and i think um i don't know if this is true of all writers but for me at least i read as both a writer and a reader so i'm reading oh. it i'm enjoying the story i'm entertained but i also look at things like yeah you know that reveal came out of nowhere why did they throw that in they didn't get, give us any <laughs> that they were going to wind up there that's sloppy you know and i'll even take notes sometimes so that was the only research i did for the genre for the content um you know i've been in or adjacent to that world for a long time so it didn't require that much although a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, is um, a career prosecutor, and um, you know a lot of the a lot of the struggles of the main character, and a lot of the conversations are conversations we've had, struggles she's had, um, and so yeah. And I actually and also I also lost that helped. 
So, <laughs> did do you watch a lot of um, like mysteries on TV? I do. I watch a lot of um, now. Brit I used to watch. Well, yeah, I used to. Not as much anymore. I used to watch Law and Order, of course, right? Oh, and, yeah. and if you read the book, you probably see like a lot of Law and Order influence in there. Um, so uh, that was one. And now I watch a lot of British uh, mysteries because mm -hmm. I feel like they do a really good job of doing, you know, deep character development in yeah. addition to like developing the storyline. So I agree. I, I, I think I live on BritBots. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Um, I had wanted to ask you, too, um, did you face any particular challenges in writing the book? Um, self-doubt, right? <laughs> like self-doubt, fear. Um, I mean, every writer is going to tell you at one point or another, I write for myself. I mean, that's a lie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I write for myself, but, but you write with a, with a hope and a view towards being read. Right. So right, right. Um, I think the impulse to write what you write is probably for yourself. Right. So um, I don't think I could write something that, and this is one of the reasons I'm independent. I don't know if I could write something because someone said you should write it in this way. Like I'm not able to do that. So um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just sort of like being in my own head about it a little bit where you read something you wrote and you're like, this seems pretty interesting. And then the next day you look at it again and you're like, I don't know why I thought this was interesting. This is such crap. No one's going to care. <laughs> but um but yeah, so I think almost every book, I think that's the biggest challenge is self-doubt. It's never the thing people think it is. It's never like time. It's never like inspiration. It's always just a little voice in your head saying, who cares? Who should care? Nobody cares. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> President, everybody's dying of COVID. Right. Why would anyone care, right? right? So it's usually that kind of thing that um, that holds me back. And I can imagine, especially when you're trying to venture into something new and something different, that would be mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, Do you do like an outline or um, no. you write? <laughs> an outline to me would kill every creative instinct I have. Like I cannot do it. I've tried. I've even written, like I've written an outline, several. I never follow them. Sometimes I forget to look at them. I don't even, I think it just doesn't do anything for me. I know, I know. One of the pieces of advice I got about uh, this book in particular, I read it somewhere about writing the genre and they said, you can't write mystery, suspense, psychological fiction without an outline because you know, you got to drop little clues right, here and there. Right. And, and I was like, dang, but you know, and I wrote it and then I went back and I put the clues in after. <laughs> so you figured it out. <laughs> Didn't, but I didn't outline it and put things like chapter one, we find out where, you know, I can't, I can't do that. That's just not my thing. What about a kit? What is it called? Like a character board where you, where you have a backstory for all your characters so you can keep them no, straight? No, that's too much work. I can't. <laughs> no, I, I don't do any of that. I mean, people who've read more than a handful of my books will notice that sometimes I reuse names. Mm. That's because I don't have a character Bible. Sometimes someone will go, 
they'll write me and they'll go, is this the same Brian as in XYZ book? And I'll be like, no, is this the Brian in that book? And I'll have to go back and check. So, I mean, I recommend them. I just don't, I don't do a lot of planning before I write at all. Um, so um, all of those things are great tools. I definitely have bought all of the books that help you this is how you outline your novel. This is how you create a character Bible. This is how you create a backstory. But I've never really used any of those tools. It's just just my busy, busy brain. That's all I got. <laughs> and I just want to um, acknowledge, um, I see some comments out here. Um, a few of them are showing up as um, Facebook users. So if you can um, look in the description, it should be um, where you can give Facebook permission uh, to show your image and your name to StreamYard or through StreamYard, um, and then that way we'll be able to see who's actually speaking. And I assume that's for Nia, keep up the good work. Thank you. Hello. Hey, Yana. <laughs> She's on. <laughs> and she's tagging folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, y'all. Hey, Yana. <laughs> All right. And uh, I know um, I was going to ask you too, Nia. How do you, I don't think I ever asked you this. How do you balance your uh, day job, family, and writing? I really, I don't know. I mean, it's in the same way that I think any woman or, you know, um, man, father, parent uh, balances, you just do it, right? Like if I had to plan it, if I had to say, I'm going to spend two hours on this and two hours, I mean, it, it's just so much a part of my life. I just have to find time to do it. It's almost like for me working out or eating well, if I don't write for a long time, I get, um, you know, I get kind of irritable. Um, hard to deal with. So it's kind of like a self-maintenance thing. I don't think that I planned for, I mean, the only time I plan for writing is if like, you know, my family is, if no one's home, if I'm by myself, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend um, more than a couple of hours writing. But for the most part, I don't really I don't, yeah, I don't think of it as a challenge. I'm sure it is on some level, but I think if I didn't um, if I didn't need to write, then I'd probably have to plan to write. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I'd have to say, how can I slot this into my life? But mm -hmm. I think it's just something that I have to do. So interesting. That's good though. Um, it's just a part of part of your your mm -hmm. makeup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, when I was a little kid, I was a really big liar. So that should tell you something. So that means even before I started writing them down, I was making up stories. I was a really big liar. <laughs> she said, I don't know if you even knew these things were lies. I'm like, I don't think I did. So, yeah. <laughs> so you were just being creative. <laughs> so, that's my story. That's what I'm going to say. Um, and I know that... Um, Martha and Tara, they had uh, some questions for you as well. I don't, whoever wants to go first, you can ask. Oh, before that, I saw um, Josh Renee just ask a question. What is your favorite genre to write to date? That was her question for to you. Date. Hmm. Gosh, that's hard to say. I mean, right now, this genre is my favorite, right? But um, um, I think women's fiction 
and I, I wouldn't say romance so much because I like the struggle part of the story, right? I like where- Yes, where, you do. Yeah, <laughs> right, where there's, they're doing some problem solving or they got stuff going on in their lives. And, um, and yeah, so that would be, but right now, I mean, it's hard. I have another, another two works in progress and they're both, um, one is more romance and the other one is women's fiction. And I'm finding it hard to, to write those, but um, very easy to write the second part of, of this series. So I guess it's this one for now. Yeah, we we agree with you. She said she said the same thing. Yes, you definitely do make those struggle. Because I think I even said to you one time, um, I can't remember what book it was. Uh, oh, it was um, who was it? And I was like, I feel like they're still on a slippery slope. I said, um, I, oh, you know what? It was uh, Riley and Sean at the end of. Um, mm -hmm. Oh I'm yeah, like, I still don't feel like they're on solid ground. <laughs> Is anybody ever on solid ground? <laughs> right. So I mean, so that's why that's why I can't really do that because I don't even really believe in that. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I can't really, I can't do the happily ever after thing. Yeah. <laughs> At least I can do it, but not well. Let me put it that way. <laughs> but that's your style, though. That's what. That's how we. Uh, so. Um, and I love it, even though I wanted that, like, oh, can they just be uh, more, you know, just be, yeah, but, you know, but you got to think, would those two people ever really leave each other? Probably not. Right. If you read right. that book, do you right. see either of them leaving? No. No, I mean, no, no, not for right. Me. They probably just torture each other to eternity. <laughs> so, so if that's happily ever after. Then, yeah. All right, uh, who's going first, Martha or Tara? So I was going to, one of my questions was, I always believe from reading your entire catalog that character development is one of your greater strengths as an author. Um, so which character in this book was the most challenging for you to write about? Hmm, the most challenging. Um, I wanna say Stephanie, the little sister who's missing. You didn't get to see a lot of her, but You'll see more of her in the second book. There'll be a little bit of flashback type stuff. Um, and and the reason she was challenging for me was that you don't see a lot of her on the page necessarily, like her interacting with her sister and what kind of person she is. Um, and that was intentional, but I also have to know what kind of person, person she was before mm -hmm. I can fully develop the story. So it was challenging not to tell you too much about her mm -hmm. and to like have you gradually realize that this chirpy, funny, maybe slightly immature young woman you see in that first in the prologue is not the totality of who she is, right? So that was hard not to keep putting in scenes that say she's, you know, show you that she's smart or she's she might not really be as happy as she appeared. Like it was hard to not um, um, tell too much about her. So that was hard to do. Cause I think what you guys are alluding to is I like to tell you a lot about the characters or have them tell you a lot about themselves, right? So holding back on that was kind of difficult to do but everybody else was pretty easy because um, they're kind of um, a compilation of people I actually know um, 
who I kind of have in my head as kind of like the template of this type of person. So that makes it easier to do. And you told a little bit of, um, we got glimpses, but we got glimpses through Lenny's perspective or um, through the friends. Right, exactly. Right. And it was important that to me that um, you find out about Stephanie as Lainey is finding out about Stephanie, right? Uh -huh. That you don't get told too much too soon. And then, um, you know, the question of whether or not what you were told or what you hear from the other characters is even accurate. Uh -huh. Like, is it, right. or are these things true? Or is this, you know, uh -huh. um, red herring? Or is it, you know, just the way it is in life, where the way someone perceives me is completely different from who I probably right. am. Right. But yeah. I know with the friend um, that was telling uh, Lainey um, her perspective as far as how Stephanie felt, I even was like questioning what her motivation was um, or, you know, if it was true or um right could so be true to her could be true, true to her right like mm -hmm. so we'll see <laughs> you have any another one martha or was that oh i i was trying not to because i could talk to Nia all day you can do one more and then we're going going to tara and then we'll get some audience uh, yeah i was um I am aware. So you mentioned that you did some reading as well, like reading other thrillers. And you know, I'm aware because mm -hmm. you know, in Goodreads, you'll do your reviews. So, um, what would you consider like the essential components in crafting a good mystery or thriller from the books that you have read in the past? Yeah. So for, I mean, I guess it's different for everybody because I've read like. Um, there's like this new genre of mystery or a subgenre of mystery of whatever you want to call it, where um, it's like shock after shock after shock. It's very, very fast paced. Like there's always a reveal. Um, every single chapter ends with either a cliffhanger or a big reveal. Um, and, and I find that I don't enjoy those as much. So uh, because to keep that pace in a mystery or suspense novel, what you have to do sometimes is have characters surprise the reader so that, you know, you're going for the, oh, I can't believe that. Like, um, you know, there was one I read recently where um, there was a little boy who was in this family. The family was very um, insular. They were very protective of the little boy. And at, I kid you not, chapter 32 of chapter four, 34, of total 34 chapters on the 32nd chapter, you find out the little boy is in fact a little girl who was kidnapped and the parents were keeping him close because they wanted to conceal that they had kidnapped her and they disguised him as a boy. And, and I was like, okay, you know, that ain't working for me. I mean, what, what the kind of mystery suspense that I think of is really good and, um, you know, like uh, what I use as a guide would be ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances, but not so extraordinary that the reader can't transplant themselves into the main character's shoes, right? Mm -hmm. So 
the little girl disguised as a boy for me was like a little too, you know, lifetime movie of the week. You know, I want to know what you or I or anyone we know would do if their sister went missing, their sister who they secretly harbor the fear they neglected that, the, you know, that they were um, inattentive to. Like, what does that feel like? What might that do to your life and your career? Um, so those are the kinds of mysteries that I like to read. Um, and even when you have like a psychopath, an all out psychopath, for me, um, what works best is a psychopath who you can almost empathize with. Someone who you're like, gosh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't do all that, but I understand, right? Like I, I get it. There's like a sort of reasoning to it. Um, and you can only like have uh, the reader empathize with even the antagonist if you make them three-dimensional. So, and I, I tried to do that as well in, um, in the women's fiction and romance. So uh, Cheryl and I have talked at length about Keisha in Commitment. Like <laughs> a horrible thing, right? Uh -huh. but the reason I did the books that were about her was I didn't like the idea that someone would just be the bad guy. To me, that's too flat. Nobody's just the bad guy, right? right? There are a lot more than that. They're probably like a, uh, a compilation of their um, experiences mm -hmm. that make them do things that we might not do. But again, we have to understand. And so that's what I did with that character and um, what I hope to do as well with, you know, whoever the antagonists are in, in whatever mysteries I might write. Did that answer? I feel like I rambled a little bit. No, that worked. No, that worked. Okay. That was good. That was yeah. great. Thank okay. you. Tira? Okay. What is one of the goals you set for yourself when embarking on this new genre? Um, for this one, really specific. So after, like everybody else, I think COVID, um, not to get political, but Hell, if you follow my page, I get political all the time. But <laughs> coming out of the the you know Trump administration and just all the crazy stuff happening, it was really difficult in that point um, in that time for me to write just for entertainment's sake. Like I felt like I wanted to in, infuse in whatever I was writing the things that are important to me and the things that you know I think are important in the world and that I wish people paid more attention to. So what I'm trying to do in this series at least and who knows the next or you know what might come afterwards is have a very clear message of what it's like to be um in criminal justice and be a black person right and you're working for in my view a system that is you know fundamentally not set up to be fair to people of color mm -hmm. and if you um if you think you're an insider, you're wrong, really. <laughs> you're just wrong, like in my view. I don't think that that exists. So um, now I think it's like mission-driven fiction in a way, but I also don't want to be preachy. I don't know everything, but I, I certainly want to like share my opinions a little bit through the characters and through the situations that I put them in. And then, you know, looking back, I realize I've always done that to some degree, but it feels more urgent now than it used to. It feels like I have more to say. It feels like I'm more pissed off than I used to be. <laughs> so I'm channeling it into, into this series. So yeah, I think just putting in um, some kind of like social and social justice thread without making it too um, 
um, you know, cloying or preachy for folks who read it. That was actually one of my questions was that I always felt like in in several of your works, you um, lift the voice of Black America, whether um, oh. it was the incarcerated, you know, formerly incarcerated in uh, courtship and um, and even like um, Devin's story and Broken, you know what I mean? Just that uh, complexity, you know, of the identity of Black male, you know, in their sexuality. Um, and so um, I was just, uh, you know, why do you feel um, as an author um, that it's necessary to raise our voices for the readers? Right. Well, because that's who I most care about, you know, right? So, so for me, um, I've always been really clear in my own mind that um, I'm writing for Black women primarily, Black audiences more um, broadly, but that's who I'm talking to, right? Like that's not, you know, I don't think that's a secret. I don't think it should have to be. I don't really care that much about like, quote unquote, mainstream appeal. Now that doesn't mean I don't want to sell more books, right? Whoever wants to read them can buy them. They're always welcome to do that. But I'm in conversation with Black folks, plain and simple. Um, and so I'm not really, um, yeah, I mean, and why do I think that's important? I think, um, and I was just talking to a friend about this the other day, because I grew up in Jamaica, which used to be a colony of um, the United Kingdom. Um, the books that I read as a kid were very different from the books that you all might have read in the States as a kid, but they shared this one thing. Most of the people in the books didn't look like me, right? I was just talking to my daughter about this as well. And I was saying, you know, always in romance, the standard for beauty was from the British books that I read. And they, there was a series that was kind of like, I guess, Avon books here called Mills and Boone romances. And the heroine always had um, skin as pale as milk, um, hair the color of sunshine or gold or something like that. And I lived in a majority minority country. And even the people who were not Black did never had skin as white as milk or peaches and cream complexions, right? They were like on the tanner side of white. And then I moved to the States and traveled to England and around the world. And I was like, huh, why would that be considered attractive? <laughs> I mean, I hate to see it, but, but you know, it was like a different standard of beauty. And, and I realized that that's all I had available to me. I was like, well, why doesn't the heroine ever look um, in this way? The, the first, and there was this book I read. Wow, I still, my mother still has it at her house. The name of the book is, um, Mandingo. Everybody knows the story of Mandingo, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, so, um, so it was about the, I don't know, the systematic effort to break down the spirit of this Black man, recent, you know, enslaved, but not a slave in his mind. And, and the Mandingo, he gets boiled in a pot of oil, in a big vat of oil. They boil him to death because I believe what happened was a white woman found him attractive. And then when they were discovered, well, of course he gets the, oh, she was raped. So, cause she couldn't 
clearly, yeah. Anyways, so you can imagine. So those were the images of, of black people and black manhood that I grew up with. Um, um, and I couldn't, you know, that did not comport with my experience of myself as a black person. And it was just frustrating. So one of the reasons you guys will see if you're on my page or we talk at all online, I'm always talking about buying books. I buy a lot of books by lots of kinds of um, authors, no matter their race or whatever. But I have this tick where if there's a new black author, I may never read their book, but I will absolutely buy it. So if my kid doesn't go to college, it's going to be because of that. I mean, because <laughs> I just buy it. Because it's almost like I'm creating, you know, it's it's weird. You know, I make light of it, but it's almost as though I'm creating this little museum of black literature because I know oftentimes there are books that get published and then, you know, they go out of print after 10 years or whatever, depending on when the copyright expires and maybe there are no copies of them around. And I just have this like underlying desire to make sure, at least in my home and among my family, there's never a time that you can't find a book, any kind mm -hmm. of book sci-fi, mm -hmm. fantasy, romance, mystery, of whatever your taste might be, where the main protagonist looks like the kids in my family look. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, none of them give a damn about reading, but <laughs> maybe one day, right? or maybe their kids will. And so I just want to make sure that those things are, are there. So is the Laney Abbott series open-ended, or do you have a set number of books you want to release? I want to do only three, Tara, but, you know, it's anybody <laughs> guess if I'll pull that up. I really only want to do three. And I, I, I've been saying that because um, when I wrote Commitment, I was only going to do one, right? Uh -huh. And then like, oh, there's another one. And then there's one about the friend of the friend of the person <laughs> who for the friend. You know, and, I, and, that, and that had me like, it's 2023. Commitment came out in 2020, 2012 or 2013, I forget. And I was like, um, dang, like this, these books had me in a chokehold, never mind y'all, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I like I write more and more and more. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. So I'm sure there are um, people out there as interesting as Lainey Abbott who will come to me. And I hope that, you know, I can exercise a little bit of discipline and, and, and leave it at three. <laughs> now, you know, I can't even imagine commitment being um, just the one book. I don't, Mm, 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 mm. Me neither, so man. And like, even, even writing, like, I have never, never read Commitment from cover to cover since it was like, since I released it, never once. Mm. So, and, and, and I like long books, but when people tell me they've read it more than like twice, <laughs> I'm like, what are y'all doing with your lives? Like, you <laughs> <laughs> I'm really flattered by that, but I but I do think that it's like, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to do that with this one. I definitely don't want to do that with this one. So whatever questions you might have, I hope I left you with some of them. They will absolutely be answered by the third book, and hopefully that will be the end. Capital <laughs> that sounds good, though. Um, sometimes I think the series can go on a little too long, but. Um, I think three is a nice a nice number. Um, I think it so keeps too. you from it keeps you from the author and you know because I think sometimes the authors get bored with the characters, um, and then it and starts then, to show right, and then it starts to show. to show that they're bored with their characters or bored right. with their 
um, formula. So I agree. Um, I had wanted to get into the character characters and a little of the story as well to give everybody a glimpse. Um, I see. Um, I just want to uh, remind people that you can look in the description and it should be um, a link uh, that you can click to give Facebook permission to use your face and your um, name. Because um, right now I'm still just seeing Facebook user for some. And also, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please share it. I appreciate it. Um, okay, so Nia, um, with Lainey and her sister, Stephanie, um, let's delve a little bit into what we know so far about their relationship, because yeah. I felt um, so emotional about, um, it seemed like it was so much time that they could have you know, been closer mm -hmm. um, than they were. It was a lot of like not communicating. <laughs> Um, and I think too, um, with Lainey, it may have been a little bit of, because of what they were dealing with, with their mother's illness that she kind of mm -hmm. wanted to push. She was, she was up to, she wanted to believe that Stephanie was all good basically. Right. And yeah. I mean, I think all of that is true. So are you asking like why they weren't closer or? Um, just more about their, their, well, I know it's going to be some more is going to be um, revealed as time goes on. So just for this mm -hmm. book, as far as the relationship dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons I made them not so close is that um, um, I try to avoid when I can like cliches. Right. So mm -hmm. um, the, the cliche would be we were like two peas in a pod. We were so close. We finished each other's sentences. And therefore, when that person, my other half, goes missing, of course, I'm justifiably devastated, right? So that's the normal formula of that kind of um, right. book about loss. But I think there's something especially tragic about losing someone who you always thought you'd have more time with, where you're aware on some level that things are not the way they should be, be it a sibling you don't talk to as much as you should, your mother who always squelched your ambition so you call her only on Sundays or you know an aunt who you always butt heads with and then you know and then those losses sometimes can hit really hard because then you know you don't have another day you don't have that next Sunday to call you don't have an opportunity to repair the relationship the way you want and I think there was one point um in the book where she said as much to someone that um you know, I just thought when she grew up, when she was in college and in the world, like I'm in the world, we were going to be friends someday. So, um, so that was a very deliberate choice, not to make them, you know, this cliched close <laughs> sister thing. Because I actually, it made me think about, okay, um, I need to make sure that I'm being very present with my, you know, with, with the relationships in my, in my life, because, um, that's how, that's what I got out of that. Um, because you can think that somebody is one way, um, and, and they're, they are totally the opposite. And I think it's because right. that we're not really present as far as 
noticing things um, with family members or loved ones. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I got out of that. Yep, absolutely. Yep. What you think, Tara, Martha, which, um, as far as Lainey and uh, Stephanie's relationship? I think the age difference played a part, a lot of a part in their distance from each other. Uh-huh. Um, and then Lainey had her own de- idea about how she would relate to her sister based on what happened with their mom. You know, she was taking care of her while she was sick. And then when she left, it was Stephanie's turn. So it was like right. she distanced herself from that. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's what I thought too, that you know, <laughs> she wanted to get as far away from it as, as possible, basically. Well, did um, you guys like, wish they had been closer? Was that something yes. where you were like, <laughs> you did? Yeah, I did. Because I, 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 it actually pulled at me. Um, I, I did. I wish that they had. I, I would have thought that it would have brought them closer just from, you know, the things that they were dealing with with their mother, that it would have um, um, connect on a deeper level, I think. Um, but that's just me with, you know, wanting everybody to be <laughs> um, the cliche that you're right. talking about. I remember you asking me about unsuitable men. You're like, why didn't you have Tracy reconcile with her mother? I was like, because sometimes they don't. So, so same thing here, right? Like we would love. You know how it is when you when when someone passes away and you start to do a little revision in your head about how close, how good they were, how good you were to them, or how you know, wonderful the relationship was. And I didn't want to leave um, Lainey with any room to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be, you know, a gradual like revelation of, you know, what you believed about your sister was what you wanted to believe. What you saw was what you wanted to see, right? And, um, And it makes the like the tragedy of what happened worse in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the same time she finds out she thinks what happened to her sister. She finds right. she's also found out that she didn't really know her almost at all. And, and I thought that was job. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. must go ahead. No, I just said I thought that was just an interesting um backdrop to the yeah. challenges of missing black women, black girls. Um, because then you had the other story. Um, that the other missing that wind up being, you know, the other missing situation and right. the, the right. stereotype, right? Because they thought maybe she was just a runaway or a prostitute, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so just the complexities. And I think to me, that was a message, you know, like it's already that's that story of black women being missing is already not being addressed. But now add the complexities of what we think we know about each other and how we perceive each other, how that can also play in um, kind of delaying the justice that we that we seek or that we need in that story. Right. So I just thought that was um, an eye opener uh, for for me as a reader. Thank you. Um, and, the, and also with that, the other story, not Stephanie's story, um, Mia, you'd think I'd remember that name, Mia. <laughs> so Mia's, um, as, as Lainey finds out why Mia may have died, 
right. and she hears the back hears the circumstances of her death and as told by you know um, the perpetrator she finds herself thinking that doesn't sound like her because she looked at all her social media that doesn't sound like something she would do mm-hmm. but so there's the other side to exactly what you said right so there's one part of the world that is stereotyping and um, having the worst of expectations. And then there's also, if you all haven't watched um, Black and Missing about the Black and Missing Foundation and their work, you should, because there's a there was an underlying theme in it as well about um, the family saying um, she wouldn't have done that. She wasn't that kind of person. Yeah. And um, and then there being some revelations that were at odds with what they thought about their loved one. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she was, you know, I mean, time and time again, you would see the parents and family members saying she was a hardworking girl. She went to school. She did well. She did all these great things. And then as the story unfolds, you know, the boyfriend was fresh out of prison, beat her up had drugs in the house. She let him do it sometimes. She was aware. And not that that um, excuses what happens to them, obviously, but it shows how you can revise things in your mind. And you're like, I mean, y'all showing up with guns blazing now, but you you ain't know she was getting beaten up right. like every day and that her boyfriend had drugs under the bed. And, you know, so there's, it happens in, in, in different ways and it makes you wonder. Um, you know, once someone's gone, like like the picture of, of who they really are um, often goes with them, right? So all the great things they said about her, she was hardworking, she's a good girl, she mm-hmm. had done these things. That was true too. But what was also true was that she had a boy, a man in her life who should not have been in her life. Right. What was also true is um, she didn't always exercise her best judgment. So those two things that seem like they're at odds, can, you know, can live um parallel in all of us mm-hmm. like I can, I, you could be a great friend and a bad parent you can mm-hmm. be a good employee and don't go to church right like so there are a lot of things that might seem at odds so you know it, it kind of um this kind of story actually gives me an opportunity to um for what writing about criminal justice in general like gives me an opportunity to show how complex human beings are like you think about the worst thing the time that you meet someone in the criminal justice system it's usually for them having done the worst thing they will ever do in their life the worst thing um and it's incomplete and unfair to judge them based only on that thing like what if anybody judged us on the worst thing we ever did right what does that look like right um so yeah i think it it's like for me this the possibilities are endless with this kind of this kind of genre. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we um, get into um, the next character, I wanted to um, give you the opportunity to do your excerpt. Oh, your excerpt. My, yeah, let me drink some water first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let me set it up for you guys. This is. Um, if you have the book, it's on chapter three, or it is chapter three. And um, this is right after, this is a year after 
Lainey's younger sister, Stephanie, has gone missing and um, she goes to work after a night of heavy drinking and finds out that um, her job is being, let's just call it revised okay. um, as a result of, well, her job is being revised. You can read the book to find out as a result of what. Right. <laughs> Chapter three. It occurs to me on the subway as I make my way back home that I could stop at the corner liquor store near my house and get a bottle of wine, a good hearty red, which I could finish all by myself, sitting in a tank top and undies in my living room without anyone to judge or stop me. And then it occurs to me that the impulse to drink before 11 a.m. and the weak pretense that it's an act of rebellion rather than a bona fide urge may mean that I found the definitive answer to that online quiz. I am a problem drinker. Once I've acknowledged it, the walk past the liquor store when I get to my stop is considerably more difficult. I talk myself into and out of going inside three times before I'm completely past its two large plate glass windows, jewel tone bottles glinting tantalizingly in the late morning sun. Problem drinker is not the same thing as an alcoholic. This is what I tell myself so that by the time I'm in front of the dry cleaners, half a block from the liquor store, I've decided to turn back and get the bottle of red. Fuck it. I was just basically fired from my job. If that's not worth a glass or three, I don't know what is. I wheel around and head back to the liquor store where I buy not one, but two bottles of red because one never knows. My apartment looks a wreck when I open the front door. There's a trail of discarded clothing in the hallway and at the end of it, I can see into the living room where my sofa cushions are askew and one is on the floor. I can't recall when or how that disarray happened. For a moment, I stand there and wonder whether I've been burgled. I haven't. I'm just not used to seeing the detritus of my life in the cold, bright light of day. I work into the evening, go out till I'm exhausted, and then arrive home late to collapse in bed, either alone or with company. Moments after the door shuts behind me and while I'm still standing there with my wine bottles and their paper sacks, someone rings my bell, making me jump. Just a second. I call. I hurry to put the wine in the kitchen, which, following the theme of the rest of the place, looks like a tornado hit it. I stash the wine, and then I go back out to answer the door. Standing at the threshold is Russ. He looks annoyed. What the hell, Elaine? Russ almost never calls me Elaine. He, of all people, knows how much I dislike it when someone uses my full name. I shrug. What? I called you. I texted you. I shrug again and he pushes past me into the apartment. Did it ever occur to you that I might be busy, that I might be at work, I ask. Russ narrows his eyes and looks at the ceiling and then at me. But you're not, he says, speaking slowly. He indicates the messy hallway. You're not busy and you're not at work. And how the hell would you even have known that? Why are you here? I went to your office and they told me you'd left for the day. I must have missed him by mere minutes. I didn't leave for the day. I left for more than the day. His eyes narrow again. Lady, what the hell is going on? What business is it of yours? I exhale deeply. You don't have to babysit me, Russ. 
Apparently I do. Apparently if I'm not around, you're getting shit faced and stumbling out of no one asked you to rescue me. And the way I remember it, we were laughing and having a good old time on the ride back to my apartment. Something about the look on Russ's face stops me. That wasn't you and me, he says, shaking his head. His expression is pitying. That was you and the cab driver who you invited to come back with us for a threesome. My face grows hot with embarrassment. You didn't answer me, I say, now all defensive bluster. Why are you here? You know what? He says, fuck this. Exactly. Get out of my apartment. I reach for the doorknob to open the door, but Russ grabs my arm. I was worried about you, he says, okay? I left you here this morning and you seemed fine, but Christ, Laney, lately... I swallow hard and he releases my arm, then looks down at it as if checking to be sure he hasn't hurt me. Do you think I, he says nothing in response. And this time I'm the one shaking my head. Russ, I would never, I know, but he lifts a hand and touches my cheek, lets it rest there a while. It's been a rough year. I feel the backs of my eyes beginning to sting and turn my head away from his touch. Why are you here? I ask again, this time more quietly. I called and texted and you didn't answer. And at your office, they said you left a little abruptly that you might be sick or something. So I thought I'd come here just to make sure. So much for unobtrusive departures. I wonder whether I did look sick when I left, probably. I've been looking sick for a long time now. My once lustrous salon assisted corkscrew curls, now a frizzy mass. My bright brown eyes, now bleary and rimmed with pink more often than not. My once smooth nut brown skin is blotchy and uneven from bad food and too much to drink. And if my work suits are any indication, I've gained about 10 pounds. Thank you for checking, I force myself to say. I just want him reassured enough to leave me alone, but I'm fine. Russ gives a short humorless laugh because the untruth is so patently obvious. I wasn't just checking up on you, he admits. There was something else. I came to the bar last night to talk to you about it when I heard that's where you were celebrating, but you were shit-faced. Yes, you said. What was it you wanted to talk to me about? Look, let's, you want to get some lunch? Talk about it then. It's too early for lunch. I'm thinking about the bottles of wine in my kitchen. I'm thinking about how good Russ looks. I'm thinking about how more than my sister and her potential were lost all those months ago. And I'm thinking about the gossip I've heard about Russ and Sofia Alvarez, the cute police department social worker and how serious they're getting. Breakfast then, Russ says undaunted. I know you haven't eaten. I squelched the impulse to ask him how he would know something like that. Why start another stupid fight? There is very little about me Russ doesn't know and it would be pointless to pretend otherwise. My tendency to skip breakfast is hardly a state secret between us. Sure, I say in defeat, breakfast sounds good. I could read more, but that feels like that went on for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good, that was good. And it, it, it brings me, actually it leads me right into um, the delight, dynamic between Lainey and Russ's relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And it also shows how um, destructive she was being as far as um, what could have happened with the cab driver if he wasn't there, you know? <laughs> um, that was, and it, it um, 
their relationship, I, it was like a, a tussle, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And, and, and she didn't really appreciate what she had with him. Um, mm. And You think so? I think she appreciated especially it. Especially at the beginning. Um, I think towards the end, I think she started acknowledging it. Um, but I think she took him for granted is probably a better word. Yeah, um, yeah. Sure. So she knew that he would. She knew that he would be there. That's in my opinion. What you think, Martha and Tara? Ooh, that was a couple. I mean, yeah. that was a pairing. I would say that was definitely um, the dynamic in that pairing. Um, but it just showed that Lainey had some internal struggles that she had to work through, and it didn't help with the her sister you know, being missing. Um, And, you know, like she felt like there was, you know, like she had some fault in that. So, you know, how do you do that and then do your, you know, day to day? Because as we saw things start to unravel later, you know, Lainey not necessarily being there because she was full press with her career. Um, So watching that and then, then Russ coming into the picture um, and, you know, you know, he's like, I there for her, but I got to live. And she does these self-sabotaging things. So it's just, um, like, so Nia, how did you decide to bring that dynamic into, I mean, it, it felt like a dynamic I've never seen re- really in your books before. So what made you decide to do it that way? Yeah, I mean, for for me, first and foremost, I didn't want their relationship to dominate the the main narrative thread mm-hmm. of the, you know, justice system. Her trying to find her sister, it would have been very easy to get pulled in into, you know, like shipping Russ and Lainey, like you know, mm-hmm. having that be a main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely didn't want to do that. Um, and also, if you remember, even in the very beginning, when uh, Stephanie came to visit her, Lainey explained why she and Russ were on and off because the the job was hard, the subject matter was hard, and you know, high stress, and they're both really driven people. So, um, you know, if you're going to read the other books, it's a foreshadowing that even where there's a resolution or a good, like, on the underlying mystery, there's some certainty. Um, these are two people who are going to, you know, struggle a little bit to be together and figure out how to be together in a functional way. And then the other thing I thought of was um, the advice that I got when I was in, um, in the, like, you know, adjacent to like the criminal defense stuff. Um, They would always say, don't date any cops. Don't date the cops. And, and, you know, for two reasons. One was that, um, it was unprofessional, right? You're you're a defense lawyer or a prosecutor, and that's messy. That's like dating someone at your job, and that could go south. And you know, you're dating a guy, and you have to put him on the stand, or, right. or you're dating a woman, you got to put her on the stand. So all of that stuff, they would say, just don't date any cops. And then also, you know, no offense to any cops out there, but um, also the sense that because they see such horrible things all the time, that you're often dealing with someone who um, I think the phrase I used in the in the book was one that you know you hear all the time that you know they come to the job broken or the job breaks them, and that so those are very difficult relationships oftentimes to be in. So um, you know I wanted to make it true to life, 
would be one answer to your question. Um, and the other would be, I didn't want a romantic um, relationship to be at the forefront. But also romantic relationships and books for me serve a couple of purposes. Like if you're a romance reader, the purpose is obvious, right? It's fulfilling and all of that stuff. But um, the other purpose that it serves, at least for me, is to make the main character come to terms with themselves. Mm. Like you only ever know who you are on a, when you, until, in my view, you try to have a close relationship of any kind, mother mm. and child, husband and wife, best friends. You only discover who you really are through another person's eyes oftentimes. Um, not necessarily in a relationship, that could also be your therapist, but really you're not gonna get to, you're not gonna do that work well if you do it on, on your own. So, um, so in order for you, the reader, to get to know Lainey better, you had, now you know she's a crappy sister. <laughs> was. But what is she like as a lover and a friend? And um, and so now you know even more about her through Russ, right? And and other characters only ever serve two purposes, right? To move the plot along or to move the character arc along. So it's like to get you from here to there with the plot. That's what some characters are. You see those people briefly, um, usually, but it's also so the character arc can change. So you see Lainey at the very beginning as one person and you know why. And then through not only what's happened, well, Russ is the catalyst. He he's, he gets the, the action moving, right? Because she's in a place of, um, not to get too right or wonky with you, but she's in a place of, of equilibrium. It's a bad place, but she's got her routine. She drinks too much, whatever. And she would stay there ad nauseum. That's not a book. So you've got to have something to 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 keep, um, you know, knock the character character out of status quo, which is drink too much, sleep around, starting to do bad at her job. And then Russ comes in. And the second part of that chapter is where he tells her, you know, something's going on that might have bearing on your sister's case, possibly. Right. And then that's the um, sort of uh, catalyst to sort of, you know, knock her out of status quo. And suddenly she has a purpose and that's right. how, yeah. And I, um, you, when you said about the balance, cause I, I read a lot of mystery and suspension thrillers and it is, it's a balance, a balancing act to, um, not give, like not have the romance overshadow this mystery. Right. Um, and vice versa. Um, yep. and some, some do it very well, in my opinion, and some you can one overshadows the other. So, what was your um, strategy in making sure that you kept on? Well, in in black. Well, for one thing, um, you know, I generally write pretty like vivid love scenes and relationship scenes where right. even if they're not having sex, they're like always talking about their relationship. You did this to me. I did this to you. And, you know, and round and round they go. Um, but with Russ and uh, Lainey, what I wanted to do was for you to just see their relationship evolve, right? So she did him wrong. She's doing herself wrong. Um, they have sort of a shared mission in the beginning. And then you begin to see gradually that these two people actually like each other. I mean, sure, they used to be together, but people don't always like their partners. I know right. that's no surprise to every, anybody. But um but you get to see them together as friends and you're like, 
they're actually kind of cool together. They, you know, joke around, they fight, they reconcile, they go through all of the, um, the, the motions of a relationship without being in a relationship for, you know, much of the book. Right. So um, I think, and also when they eventually do, um, that's a spoiler, but whatever, y'all can guess. <laughs> whatever they, when they eventually do sort of get together, it's like, um, it was like a curtains closed moment. And then, I noticed that. I was going, yeah. Because, right, right. you know, because then, first of all, if there's too much of that, then you're going to expect more of it later in the book. Right. And if you're writing a mystery, it's a waste of words for me. <laughs> you can like, you, you can figure it out. But also um, the other thing that happened for me was in, in black and white, I was writing about a mystery of this um, baby, this kid being right. abducted, right? And then as I kept writing, because again, I don't use an outline, the the story of the relationship, the arc of the relationship overtook the book, mm. which was actually about a kid being abducted. And, and consequently, the resolution of that, the abduction story right. was less than it could have been. And it was given short shrift because then the relationship, the, the book became a, about an interracial relationship right. and the dynamics of that, which you know, that might have been good stuff. I don't know. But the book wasn't supposed to be about that. It was supposed right. to be about the mystery with that as the backdrop. And then it turned out that the mystery was the backdrop and the relationship was the forefront, which is like, you know, not what I intended. And I, now I see what you meant when you said that, because um, it did. It was more about their relationship. Um, right. I think the way I messed up there was I made it an interracial relationship because I can't yeah. write an interracial relationship without exploring like Tell the politics about the interracial right. relationships, right? right? Because that was just too intriguing, a, 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 like an opportunity to write about the politics of the relationship and like, you know, wealth and status versus like being a regular person. And so it was, you know, it, it might have worked better as a mystery if they were two Black people. Because then I wouldn't have gotten sidetracked with trying to make um, points about about you know being in a relationship with someone not of the same race as yourself. Um, I think I it, was it another um, question, Tara? Did you have a? Um... Um, I did. Let me think. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you um, might have. Well, why don't I ask you guys a question? Do you do you feel like so? Here's without giving the ultimate spoiler, I'll just say that one piece <laughs> of feedback that I got was that very last chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, we we're hearing Stephanie's voice and not that of Lainey or Russ. Right. One piece of feedback I got was. You should have had more of her voice along the way and not just toward the very end and um so i wonder what you guys thought about that i don't think I, that was maybe a couple of people said that not a whole lot but but i was curious I've read, about that yeah i've read books like that where you get the um the perspective of the person uh who's missing like the victim um, get their, right get their voice yeah uh, throughout um, but I think I think it worked well the way you did it as well for me anyway. I agree because it kept the suspense factor there because you had no idea what was coming. 
Right. Yeah, right. and I would say, yeah, yeah, I would agree that was a good place to put it because again, the um, not knowing Stephanie really, you know, through the eyes of Lainey really gave some, you know, thickness to the story, right? Just like, and again, that message of, do we really know those that we're around and what would have, what would we say if if our one of our loved ones was to come up missing? Can we, like you just said about from that, um, that show about the black and the missing, like all these different layers that sometimes we, we miss. Um, and as a parent, you know, I think sometimes, especially as my children right. are getting older, um, one of the things I said recently to one of my friends, I said, one of the greatest enemy is the secrets of our children um, mm -hmm. because they don't always tell us everything. And then when things start to uncover, we're like, is this the child that I'm raising? Um, so, um, so I appreciate her perspective coming at the end. Um, and it's still, you know, there's, there was still some questions, um, which works um, for mm -hmm. the genre that you um, are working on. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I want, I took it out and put it back in maybe three times. I was like, mm, well, this makes sense to folks. And then, you know, and I also definitely want to leave in your mind whether or not, um, is that the totality of Stephanie, even though you've seen inside her head a little bit, is that really, mm -hmm. you know, what it appears to be? Anyways, I did want to ask, yeah, I did want to ask about the ADA. Um, yep, that, that was my next question. <laughs> the that dynamic, like um, oh, the the first assistant, mm -hmm, the first assistant. The, oh, yeah, yeah. she was something else. Diana right. Marshall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for that was a really fun character to write, and I mean, I don't know if any of y'all know any older black women like that or someone who at the time was older in your career than you were in the same career who had um who you were like friend or foe you don't even you know really know who they are um she's a, a character that's going to stretch across all three books because i i really like writing her and and she's definitely familiar to me good grief like i know a few women like that um who on some level you know, they do kind of wish you well, but they, you know, but you're disposable at the same time, right? Like if you don't comport with their worldview or you're not, um, um, if you're not gonna behave in the way that they think uh, you should behave and not just for their own ambition, but for their ambition for the race, you have to do it for the culture. You have to, you know, people who just have different views of what that is, um, and, and Diana Marshall's was like, you know, morals and um, principles and stuff like that are disposable. Yeah, that's a good you, word. Cause it felt like she was kind of like Lenny was her puppet, but she wanted her to be anyway. Mm -hmm. um, kind of control, kind of controller. Um, yep. Dangling a little carrot. <laughs> um, right. Obviously she does what she wants her to do. Yeah, she's a low key my favorite character in the whole. Because <laughs> she's because she's her own mystery, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. at times you're like, I didn't even know until you know, like, is she does she want to see her do well? Does she, and why does she want to see her do well? Right. And, um, I guess we'll find out. You'll find out 
when it gets published, I'll find out when I write it because I honestly don't <laughs> yeah. know yet. Because I was that's what I was gonna say. What is her agenda? Because it did seem like there was a some kind of hidden agenda behind it. Um, right. I mean, I actually think it's not hidden at all. But <laughs> but it's you know, like she tells you what her agenda is. But the question is is you know whether um, she could flip on you, right? Like mm -hmm. in the moment, sure, of course she intended to have her um, advance. But now, right. yeah, now that things are going a different way, what are her intentions going to be? Yeah, it seems like she can be very dangerous, a very dangerous um, uh, person to have uh, against you. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. If you're not willing to dance to her tune. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I like, too, that we got a glimpse into the world of being a, a Black ADA, too, um, and the stresses and... Um, of that oh, yeah. World. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I found myself in similar situations and some of them very recently where, you know, you, um, you have to argue things that you're not sure you a hundred percent believe just for the sake of playing your role in, in a system that you also may not believe in. It's a very, very difficult, um, thing to maneuver. And, uh, one of my, really good friends who I wrote about in the acknowledgement. Um, like, you know, we're very close, but we are literally on opposite sides of all of these issues. When we talk about criminal justice, she talks about um, personal accountability, respectability of Black people, some of the things that Diana Marshall talks about. And when I talk about it, I talk about, you know, fairness, racism, institutional bias, right? But um, but I know her values and I'm like, we're on the same side, but we're just coming at it from different angles. Right. But yeah, it's an interesting world to be in. And I, I have, I, I spend endless um, minutes and sometimes hours like picking the brains of like, um, you know, folks I know in law enforcement <laughs> and stuff. I'm just saying, you saw that tape, right? Like, how do you feel about the tape? Like, let me, how do you walk in your shoes after something like that happens? Um, you know, so yeah, I, and I hope they all know it's going to wind up in a book. So, <laughs> and we have a question from the audience uh, Did you always plan to write a suspense thriller? Um, I think, did I always? Hmm, maybe not. I mean, but I want to write everything at some point right like there there are definitely days where i'm like oh i want to write like some dystopian fiction or i want to write the only thing i haven't wanted to write is like um like game of thrones type fantasy novels like i don't have much interest in that i'll watch it but i don't have interest <laughs> in like crafting it um but i like things that happen in the known world right like the world as we live it so I think as far as I would go toward that kind of stuff would be like, um, I, like I have this story idea of a woman who can see people's aura and, and sense what's going to happen to them. Hmm. And for some people, that's a fantasy. Yes. But some of us, we know it's not, right? So, <laughs> um, so for me, I want to write stuff in the known world. I'm not interested in like world building and, you know, writing about phase and wolves and <laughs> that's not me i was just but gonna yeah. ask you did you were you because uh, that's one of my favorites is paranormal and mm -hmm. fantasy and the world building so you say you're mm -hmm. not interested in all of that <laughs> yeah. 
Paranormal, yes, to some degree. World building, no, not at Ooh. all. I mean, horror would be kind of cool if you can make it like, um, you know, again, I just, I, I think, I think for me, the most important thing, I'll write any genre as long as it's like relatable on a human level. Mm-hmm. And that would be the main thing, right? Like you can relate to uh, to the human story. Like, you know, you know what, um, I, an example I would use would be like The Walking Dead. Like The Walking oh, Dead. Yeah. I mean, I had a whole bunch of friends telling me, you should watch the show. You would love it. I'm like, I have no interest in zombies. <laughs> Stop telling me to watch The Walking Dead. And then I started watching it. I'm like, it's actually not about zombies. Like the zombies are a backdrop. It's about yeah. like, yeah. like, you know, about human beings and, and how, how they realize who they really are in the face of dire circumstances. Like the mm-hmm. worst thing that could ever happen to you has happened. Like, are you really the person you think you are? And would you become, you know, a savage or would you be trying to establish like order out of chaos and hold on to your moral core, that kind of stuff. So, so it was interesting for that reason. Um, those are the things I like to look at with characters. I don't care about the zombies still, but yeah. Yeah, because, <laughs> and me and my aunt, that's, that, that you said that me and my aunt were just saying that not too long ago about because um, I read a lot of um, apocalypse type stuff too. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, how would we fare if we had to, um, if everything everything was back to before electronics where you had to grow your own um, food and all of that? And I said, a lot of us would be in trouble. Um, right. Me included, because I don't know the first thing about gardening or anything. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I think that would be interesting. You should look into uh, into writing something like that. I think you'll do well with that. Yeah, so I mean, is, God willing, I'll have enough years to try everything I want to try. We'll see. And uh, we have another question from the audience. How do you choose characters and develop them? A name, a certain look? Hmm. Um, uh, how do I choose characters? I mean, it could be anything. It could be like overhearing something when I'm in the grocery store someone like today, I was talking to a friend of mine. We've been friends since we were like maybe 12 or something. And she met and we we went to a Catholic girl school together. And um, I randomly asked her about this other girl I knew who, um, you know, she sort of drifted away. And I said, whatever happened to this person? And she said, "Um, do you know um, her son just got married, da da da, and her son is, and she said, oh, didn't you know her son is like, the her son was fathered by her mother's boyfriend and i was like oh, no she wasn't you know like that didn't happen and i was like i remember it was rumored when we were in high school that she was pregnant by her mother's boyfriend and i was like people are so vicious why would they make up something as nasty as that it's horrible blah 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 and she told she just told me today she's like it's true right and then when people tell me stories like that i immediately put them in <laughs> They go into like a little drawer, right? And then later on, I don't I don't choose to write that story. It may become a backstory of some other main character or um like I don't I don't I don't have to look for ideas and I don't have to look for characters. They just sort of come to me um just through living in the world. And also I talk to like a lot of Uber drivers and stuff and just random people. <laughs> 
How many kids you got? Where inspiration to come from? You never know when it's gonna hit. I have no idea, right? I just talk to people randomly, especially if I know I'll never see them again. That's always better. <laughs> so I don't have to prolong any engagement. I just have to like you know mine the world for ideas. But I don't know. I don't know where I get them from. They just sort of come to me and um, and and I write them. Um, and in terms of like a, the look, I definitely there was one time really early on when I was writing when someone made a comment in a review and they said, all of her characters look the same. They're always these light skin, hazel eyed. I was so insulted. First of all, I didn't think it was true, but. <laughs> and then, you know, when, when, I, when I got over like the insult of it, I was like, am I writing people who are truly representative of my people? Like, in all their shades and all of their variations and stuff. When you're writing women's fiction and romance, you tend to make them above average attractive, but you right. don't want to you don't want to create the impression that attractive is defined by a certain look, right? Because I'm not trying to contribute to that at all among black folks. So I had to take some inventory and like I still don't think it's true, but I certainly am, you know, mindful when um I, you know, when I write my characters that I want to make them, you know, representative of, of all of us and, and whatever shades we come in um, and all of that. I don't think I write a lot of, yeah, I mean, I, I, I that I definitely do. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if I made him half Hawaiian this time? Because I, <laughs> you know, just, but yeah, I definitely just want to make sure that there's like representation such that in at least a few of my books, you can see, you know, men and women who look like you on some mm -hmm. level. Yeah, I think you do that. I don't, I don't, I don't see a like abundance of um, light skin. Well, um, the more books you write, then the more you can, you can claim that, right? Then you can say, no, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, that would be something I definitely now I, I'm really intentional. Just, about. Uh, um, if you're just joining us, uh, we're speaking with Nia Forrester on her book, Jane Doe Black. And here is the cover. If you can see it, I'm trying to get it to where it's not. I'm trying to think uh, if Tara and Martha want to ask me stuff because you guys are very chatty online. <laughs> now you well, we don't want to reveal any spoilers. We were told not to. You still can talk right about on. the book. You can still talk it's about hard the book. It's hard not to. Well, that's the thing about mysteries, right? Like, I mean, if you're talking about romance or women's fiction or like relationship-centered fiction, you can talk all day about the dynamics between the, you know, the characters, it's different in mystery because you tend to want to talk about what happened and it's hard to do that without right, like right. Giving, stuff, giving stuff away. But yeah. No, behind the scenes, we were talking about um, Lainey and her decision to, and her letting uh, Stephanie live with these other families. And that was kind of, yeah. it was kind of, you know, strange. <laughs> um, do you think so it's strange? I know, like, well, maybe here's why I don't. When I was in high school, I had a friend who, um, she lived much farther away from the school and she came late a lot because she had to take a bus and a train, you know, like she had a really long journey to school. And then she um, was in danger of not graduating. 
And I just said to her, you should come live with me then. And, um, and I asked her before I asked my parents, but then they thought of it as a lovely act of caring for a friend. So they're like, all right, yes, you can come stay. And to this day, neither I nor my parents have met her parents or even talked to oh, them. Really? Hmm. Never, never did, which was the strangest thing. And then, then when um, I moved to Pennsylvania from Washington, D.C., and it was a really quick move. I, you know, I took a job really quickly and then I moved and I got like a, an apartment before, um, you know, my family came and joined me. So, and then we moved out of the apartment when everybody was here and then moved into our house. And the house was just outside of the school district. And by then my kid had gotten friends and I was like, oh man, She's going to have to move from the D.C. area to Pennsylvania, move from one school to another school. And I had all this parental guilt about it. And she said, um, my friend so-and-so, her parents said that I could come live with them. And I was like, you'd be literally five miles away if staying just to stay in the school district. And I don't know these people. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, people do that, huh? And you know Black folks be sending their kids all over creation to go to school. Go stay with your auntie and so-and-so. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but ha I having said that, you hadn't met them, um, but you said you just, you had a, you know, in real life. Right. Experience. Having said that, yeah, it's a little bit unusual, but it's also like a marker of um, how negligent Lainey was for real. Because mm -hmm. what? You meet them once or twice? I mean, I, I've always thought it was weird that you would entrust to people um, who you wouldn't lend your car, you'll let them right. have your kid. Right. So, which is crazy, but we do do that. We do that from the time we put our kid in daycare. It's like, okay, <laughs> here you go. You can take my baby, my child, and I don't know you well enough to give you my car keys. Right. <laughs> what, uh, Martha, Tara, what do you think about um, Greg's character? I really actually liked him. What did you think? I like Greg. I didn't, I didn't I like him for her, but I liked him. <laughs> Were you shipping Russ? You didn't like him for her. You didn't think he was a much more stable personality. Well, I, I, I not a more stable personality, but a more an even keeled relationship. I did, um, but I um, I just Rachel felt like she heard that she needed. She was supposed to be with Russ, even though they have. That's, that's the thing about like y'all like that struggle love thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, even though I even though she just be with nice Greg. <laughs> Yeah. Even though I say I don't, yeah, I did. I I think I do, yeah. Because um, even though I liked him, I didn't really like him for her, except you know, as friends. Right. Well, he'll be back, so we'll see how that plays oh, out. That description you put out, I saw that there was going to be some right. So he'll be her, her law partner. Um, some struggling so. going on. <laughs> yep. Always. I mean, I, I like Greg. I just think with Lainey's self-sabotage tendencies, I just think it wasn't going to <laughs> last for a while. You know, I just didn't think it was going to last. So I just think he was good, dynamic, um, professionally wise. Um, but personally, I just think she would have just ran over. Yeah, <laughs> I just think at some point she would. But I do, um, I mean, since... I'm here. So question about, um, I loved again, the dynamics involving the 
you know, criminal system, you know, um, we know that there's the institutional biases and systemic racism. And I just thought, you know, the story about the two brothers with the father, you know, who was abusive. And then the woman who was in this long term, you know, um, marriage and, you know, like, I mean, what made you bring those dynamics into the story? I I enjoyed it, but I, and then yeah. just how, how that was treated, but what made you bring that into the story? Yeah. I mean, in both cases that those would be examples of like where I'm trying to like convey information. Uh, so I'm not world building, but I'm world exposing. Right. So, and I think um, it's both scenery and character. So to understand Lainey and the people who are going to be the secondary characters in her world, you have to understand what they face. And those are really, those are real cases, um, actually. Yeah. And um, especially the one with the brothers, that plays out every day, a hundred times a day in the criminal mm -hmm. justice system where, um, you know, you, every once in a while when they do something like shoot up a school, then you hear that people are like, they're deciding whether or not to charge them as an adult. Um, in a lot of places in, in the United States, it's almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to get charged as, as an adult. But there's a process that they go through where um, the defense lawyers can present um, like, you know, mitigating factors that say, the circumstances were extraordinary. They were abused. They were, you remember the kid who, um, I think it was in Florida. And then they, a mitigating factor for him was the parents left guns around. The parents were warned that he had mental health issues or they did nothing, that kind of stuff. So those are cases that happen all the time. Um, and you have to like shake them off, right? And, and just move on to the next and to the next. And it takes a toll uh, on a person who works in that system. And I think Lainey has like an edge to her. Like, like you said, you know, Greg is a good guy and Russ is a good guy and they're both like trying to get in and she's, she makes it really difficult. And I, a part of the process of getting you to empathize with her is to understand the world she's in. Like I'm not, you know, and have never been a prosecutor or on that side of the aisle, but if I were, I would cry every day and not only that, I don't know that I wouldn't take it home with me. Mm. I would be thinking about it all through the night too. Um, and I don't know. So, so my major field um, in in the justice system is I work in juvenile justice. So it's it's kids all day, every day. Um, some of whom have done some pretty horrific things. Mm. But um, I think at one point, Lainey said, and it's true. I've never seen a kid who's done a horrific thing who hasn't also had something horrific done to them. Never, mm -hmm. not one time, mm -hmm. not one time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so that would be like the, the parts of the book where I'm trying to be sort of um, informative without, without going too far. The one with the woman who, um, yeah, the woman, I won't say yeah. more than that, the older mm -hmm. woman, um, mm -hmm. Those are like real circumstances that get um, presented to courts all the time. And and every bit of it is legally accurate, that it could have been that really low level approach to it where mm. she would go home, or it could be the other end of the spectrum where she never sees the light of day again. And mm. that's all up to the prosecutor. 
usually, right? Like even the facts could be like, oh, seriously, that wasn't self-defense, but they, it's all up to how they charge it. And so um, I wanted to expose a little bit of that as well. To show yeah, because in her case, it became, it was more a political move as far as. Right, right. Which is definitely a thing. So, but yeah, so I mean, I, and that's what I mean about that question that you asked earlier, um, Martha, about why I put, you know, why I'm writing this genre and why, you know, um, I moved in this direction. Because I think those things are really important to talk about. And, you know, and DAs are voted in. In, you know, they're not appointed by someone else. We decide who they are. So, you know, it's just another reason for me why knowing who you're voting for and why and what kind of decisions they would make. Um, who knows? You might learn about why it's important in a Nia Forrester book, which would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you put um, uh, the roommate in as a red herring? Because I, I, I truly thought she was oh the roommate oh involved um, for a minute especially since she said she was it was obvious that she was holding back on information. That um, I mean, I, I will say that like there are a lot of red herrings since the since the story's not finished. I won't I won't say more than that, but well, um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that are not as they appear to be, and to hmm. the extent that I outline. Well, here's one thing I do know. I mean, I know how Stephanie's story ends and I know how they find out exactly what happens to Stephanie or not. And I know whether they find out who's responsible or not. But, um, and so there, you know, like there's more to be told. But I think the, the, and someone else asked me what the biggest challenge was with this one. The challenge was making it feel like the story was done at the end of the book, mm. right? So if you don't read two and three, you should have like a sense of completion, if, even if you don't have a sense of resolution. Um, I think like a straight, like a fall off the edge cliffhanger in a book is not something I want to do. Yeah, I, I can't, I, I'm not a fan of those. <laughs> I usually mm -hmm. wait for the, oh, the rest of the books to come out if I know that it's going to be a cliffhanger. Right. Um, oh my gosh. I had one where, um, and I won't say who, because it would be really mean. But but they had like a series like that. And it was like three novellas. And each one ended in a cliffhanger. And then the last one, she just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't do it. And then she like, you know, and I was like, wow. And I took a lesson from that. Because I was like, I, I actually know why she didn't do it. Because sometimes you don't feel like doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's why. Um, so I definitely empathize. And then she still hasn't done it many years after the last one ended. And I was like, you know what? Let that not be me. So that even if I'm writing a series, I want the book to stand alone, right? So you might have questions, but I definitely don't want you to feel like the story could not be complete at the right. point where it ends. Cause you know, who knows? I could get hit by a bus and then where would that leave? You know, you might be sad I'm dead, but <laughs> there would definitely be a part saying, Doggone it! Now we'll. You know. <laughs> and you know what? That's actually happened in a few series that I've read, and that's when I learned where it just fell off, and, and they just got tired of it. Right? It's just like leave you hanging, like, and the rest of the books never, never materialized, and so you don't, you know, you feel like. The, you but know, I, I can, I can truly say, on behalf of those authors, most of whom, whom I don't even know, 
that they did not intend to do it. I'm, I promise you that was not their intent without even knowing anything about it. <laughs> it's just very difficult sometimes to like revisit. Um, like even The Broken, that was the last in that, in that series, even though right. of related books. Um, my writing was different. My writing was different and I couldn't go back. So, so the oh, tone wow. of that book was very different from the others in that series. And after, um, and I'd written them for so long that I could keep that tone or revert to that tone whenever I needed to. And in this book, I was like, I can't, I can't, I literally can't do it. I'm, it's like, I'm not that person anymore. Or I don't know what it was. It was just a horrific last three years, as you all know. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so you know, I just didn't have the same voice in me anymore. That makes sense too. Yeah, especially after so after a long period of time writing in a a, a series. Um, I didn't even think about that that your voice would change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying, yeah, I remember you saying during the pandemic the struggle of getting you know stories together with everything that was going on. And so it's interesting to know in your timeline that you were formulating this story right when all this craziness um, hit. So what made you push forward to release this so that we could now have it in our hands? Um, for this one, for Jane Doe Black? Mm-hmm. Um, well, because it was it was mostly written by then. I think the only thing that kept it from being complete was making sure the narrative thread made sense and like, you know, the clues were there and also um, I didn't, I hadn't decided at the, um, first and second draft, um, who the perpetrator was and I could have finished the book, but I would need to give you some, um, clues so that when you read the subsequent books, you'll be like, okay, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Cause that, that's the other thing about writing mystery. Like you can't really just, you can't completely wing it. Like you can write it, but you've got to make sure because readers are like eagle-eyed and stuff. They will come back. <laughs> like I had someone once write to me and say, in the beginning of this scene, you said she was wearing tights. And then at the end, she was wearing a skirt. And I was like, <laughs> was she? <laughs> I to go back. I mean, and she was right. But I was like, who notices stuff like that? But she did Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But you know what? That happened in the movies too. I always remember in Pretty Woman well, that she started, out eating, she started out eating pancakes, mm-hmm. I believe, and then she had, and then it switched <laughs> the frame to a croissant or something like that. Um, and it always sticks, it always stuck with me. Um, and something that small can like throw you off, and suddenly you're like, you know, the book falls five notches for you. <laughs> you know, like for me, I, that kind of stuff is like, I try not to have it happen. I mean, I'm more worried about like logical breaks than I am about even typos. Cause I'm like, it's just disrespectful. Like people aren't stupid. You need to like give it the respect that it deserves. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Well, you do, you do well with that. And um, we're getting Thank close you. to time um, to end. Did you have any writing questions or anything, Martha and Tara, for Nia, before we get ready to sign off? So I guess, go ahead, Tara. So when you write a scene, 
or introduce a new character, your scenes are very descriptive. I mean, down to the mm -hmm. most minute detail. Is that purposeful or is that something that just comes natural for you or? Um, I think both, right? So like, I think I notice things like that and I notice people at that level of detail. Um, like I pay very close attention to like, you know, micro expressions when people are saying things. And I, like occasionally when I'm with, um, or even if I'm on watching TV and I'll hear a newscaster or someone being interviewed say something and I tend to look more at them than I, almost as much as I listen to them and I'll say he's lying. Like I, I'm just one of those people who like reads people in that way. So I definitely pay a lot of attention to detail just intuitively. The other thing is um, a lot of my like writing training came from people like um, Stephen King. I say it all the time. He writes long because he writes every character as though they're a main character, even if you're gonna mm -hmm. see them only for two pages. Like you feel you can see them. You feel you, you know, he gives you so much detail. And I've always admired that because um, I'm like, you know, some people don't watch movies and they don't care to, or some people aren't that, you know, visual. They live more in their heads. So I want to give you a, a picture of the person or I want you to, to, um, to read about even a minor character and go, oh my God, I know what she means. Or, oh my God, I know someone like that. Even if you never see that person in another scene. So it's definitely purposeful. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't plan it. I think it's just, it just makes the, makes the story more real. Like, have you ever read a book and it might not even be one of mine where, um, you read about a person and you immediately think, I feel like I've heard this before, or I feel like it feels familiar, right? It has enough dimension to it where you're like, I think I saw that in a movie. You probably didn't, but it feels that vivid to you. And it like touches something in your mind where you're like, I either empathize or recognize that person. And so for me, that's the goal is to like, not no flat characters, no perfect characters, no incomplete characters. Definitely if I'm paying attention, no inconsistent characters where they do something that you're like, wait, what? She would have right. done that. So yeah, yeah, definitely on purpose. And it's fun too. <laughs> you definitely give depth or dimension to all the characters so and the story. Um, so I appreciate that. And I guess my last question is, um, if someone was to uh, ask me what's next for Neil Forster or how could we define you in the future? I mean, I guess, what would you, what would you say as far as your works yeah. of the future? That's a really good question. I think, um, I don't know, I'm just gonna go where my emotions take me, but I definitely wanna write for sure. Think, so what I've been thinking about lately is like, I notice a lot of books pretend COVID never happened. Like they don't include it in their storyline. And um, now that we're over the hump a little bit, I'm starting to see how we actually live differently and think differently because of having had that experience. Like. I mean, a good thing for, for romance writers is that a lot of people work from home now. Cause you ever wonder in romance, how do they have time to be doing all this? They go into parties that, you know, you don't hear much about their job, but now, you know, like COVID, get, you could incorporate that. Now people stay home more. Now we think about family more than we used to. 
we think about community more than we used to. So in the future, I think, and I'm not saying this to say I'm going to write about the COVID period, but I think I, I'm more attentive to writing about the time in which we find ourselves and having, I think it would be really cool when, if long after I'm dead, someone could read even the most trivial book I wrote and get a sense of how we lived in that time and what we were thinking about. So when I wrote the novella um, Resistance and After mm -hmm. the Fires, those two shorts mm -hmm. during you know the um, civil uprising, that was satisfying to me because to me, it, you know, even if you didn't experience that, I think if those books, God willing, are around in you know a lot farther into the future, I think it gives a, a pretty good picture of like what we were thinking, what we were facing. Um, and I didn't go too deep with those, but I think in everything I want to write from now on, I want it to give, you know, some picture. So Jane Doe Black is just a little mystery novel, but I think it tells you a little bit about American justice, uh -huh. how Black people experience it. And so I want to do that in, in all the stuff that I write, like, you know, have a little bit of depth that says, oh, that's what it was like back then. Um, even if it's romance, women's fiction, mystery, whatever, that it should tell a deeper story about um, how Black folks were experiencing the world. That's the hope. Thank and, you. Um, for those that um, are watching, uh, can you tell everyone where they can find you as far as your social media, website, or anything like that? I am all over social media except for TikTok, <laughs> which I have to, I, you know, I'm like, man, I don't know about these videos and what. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll figure that out eventually. But yeah, I'm on Twitter at Nia Forrester, um, on Facebook um, at Nia Forrester, um, Instagram, just Nia Forrester again. And then uh, my email address is authorneaforrester at gmail.com. I love getting emails. I always respond to them when I get them. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I might exit Facebook one day, but not this day. So that <laughs> a while. yeah. And I'm you also so have Martha and, and Tara who, you know, always see people in the flesh. Are either of you going to Behind the Pen? I am. New York? Oh, cool. I have my right. tickets. I just okay. Need to well, so you out. intend to go, but you don't know yet. <laughs> I hope you will. I hope you will. It's always a really good event and a really good time. And um, yeah, so I would to love to come and see and see you. Um, I just have to see how I'm still in like recovery a little bit, recovery mode. So just going to depend on how how that works out. But when is it in August? Is it August? Yeah, August what? Fifteenth, fourteenth, somewhere around there. Twelfth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. around that second week in August. But yeah, it's always a really good time. They put on a, a really good um, event. And, you know, New York is always exciting. Yeah, and I have family <laughs> there, so it'll give me a chance to visit. Oh, well, there you go. Mm -hmm. Is that the only event you're doing this year, Nia? Or? It is. And you know what? I'm going to start um, doing more, just as a part of my learning process, doing more like mystery writer events and conventions. Um, I, I always do behind the pen if they ask me, but you know, 
but that's my only sort of mandatory event. And and honestly, like I, I wonder, because it's definitely, they don't bill it as much, but it's, it's more romance focused. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be there next time because I'm exploring other things. But um, yeah, that's why y'all have to come this time because I might not be at the next one. <laughs> but you're not totally giving up romance though, are you? <laughs> Um, you don't know. <laughs> that is not my plan. That is not my current plan. I mean, I, I have I have one that's uh, you know that I'm working on right now, and okay, yeah. So and that might yeah. come out before <laughs> of this one, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if I. I honestly don't know if I can like give people what they want in romance anymore. Like I don't know if I can. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if I ever. <laughs> have you ever that genre to begin with? But I, I don't know. I'll just have to see how it um, shapes up. But there's definitely, a, it's, it's more of a struggle than it used to be to write that. And, oh, and really? I don't know if I'm doing it well. So I'll write it, put it out there, and you all will let me know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here for whatever you put out. So oh, same, same, same. Yeah, whatever, wherever inspiration takes you, I'm here for it. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you so much for... Um, joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Tara, for coming out and being on the panel with me. And uh, thank you to everybody that joined us today. And uh, just to let you know, Wednesday, I will be um, also going live with author Michelle Dawson um, discussing her inspirational book. That'll be Wednesday. Uh, It's part of the new um, Striving for Wellness that I'm doing. Um, So that should be interesting. And that'll be at eight o'clock Eastern. Um, again, have thank you. Done Ray Lease? Have you ever done Ray Lease? No. You should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ray Lease, yeah. yes. She's yeah. a really, really great writer. I enjoy her stuff. I don't read a whole whole lot of romance anymore, but I and I don't even know if I would call her that. Would you all call her romance? I guess. Uh, Maybe not. But anyway, she's excellent. Yeah. yeah. Highly recommend her. Okay. And, uh, you should. Um, Tara and Martha will tell you. <laughs> I'll definitely look her um, up. Yeah, yeah. I did um, read another book that you recommended um, on your page. What was that? That was the about somebody. It was the seaside. It was a mystery uh, in a cave hmm. by the seaside. I can't take a oh. now. Um, I think I know which one you're talking about. And that one was really was good. Jane, was it by Jane Harper? Uh, can't remember. Never remember. Hmm. I have to look it up and. Uh, Okay. I'll let you you two know about it too, Martha and uh, Tara, because it was really good. <laughs> I know you said you like mysteries, uh, so I'll look it up and let you know. I'll, I'll let you know too what it, which one it was. Uh, okay. Once I look it up again, thank you all for joining me, and I hope everybody has a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Nice meeting you guys. Nice meeting you, Nia. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.